the Reigns and Ed Show. And, well, you know, that's what we decided to call it because I'm Mark Edge and Henry Reigns. And we're doing a show. So there you go. Thanks to the uh, Free Talk Live Network, anyway. How is the Free Talk Live Network doing these days? <laughs> well, I so did, ever since we showed up. I did manage to... Uh, you know, there's there's a few changes on the horizon, if you'd like to talk about that. Um, in fact, we are putting together a Telegram uh, channel where listeners will be able to interact if that's what they wish to do. And there'll be a Reigns and Edge room in that particular channel. So people can come in there and say... You know, talk Somebody about. has said to us to get a room? <laughs> That's what they've said. <laughs> so, yeah, and I had uh, I had an email come in this week of people talking, you know, just talking about the show, saying they like having me back on and like having you, and so there you go. Uh, I almost believe you. No, it's true. I'm sure they said they like having you back because <laughs> you've been gone. Sort of. I haven't been on the regular show. I... <laughs> I just don't think that the remote stuff works that well. I, I really like being in studio with a person. Yes. Yeah. They don't say, who is that progressive groomer that you are talking to <laughs> <laughs> that is going to turn all our children into communists? Well, I'd be far more concerned about that than anything else. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, they, they do use terms like uh, grooming. Uh, to describe progressive progressives oftentimes right the yeah. uh well especially uh child traffickers that you can, <laughs> they use a lot with them too yeah anyway, they do it's you gotta you gotta be careful how you use that word these days people don't even take a joke well much anymore and well we have some things to pick up on loose ends we have some new topics that we can talk about in the hours to come and we have Ron DeSantis has uh, said it's not he's not responsible for the new curriculum, but he's very proud of it. And it's all the scholars, which I one man's scholars is another man's groomer these days. <laughs> uh, how about Vivek Ramaswamy? Who is he, he? He was at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, and as I understand it, he's a former listener of Free Talk Live. Why did he quit? Well, I mean, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, a listener is a listener. <laughs> if you've ever listened to Free Talk Live, you're like a once listener. Once a Marine, always a Marine. When, when... That's right. That's how I feel. Well, he thinks he can be president, or he's asking us to make him president. He's certainly one of those, Something yes. about that. And then we spent a lot of time talking about Jason Aldean last week. And he this is ne- the country music star. Yes. Yeah, with the try this in a small, try that in a small town. Yeah. You can try this in a small town, but he's was talking about trying that in a small town. And you know, when you get to a certain point where you're the household name of the week or the household name du jour, people start looking in your background. Mm. And we have a little bit. We're not going to beat it up like we did last week. But there's some things to, to bring up about that. We didn't get to Fed now. That was the new Federal Reserve um, money transferring system. And probably just as well, because WorldCoin debuted since we were planning on talking about FedNow. And we're going to put those two things together and see what it might mean to to you. And maybe you could uh, have a free talk orb where you will scan irises, because (laughs) not not scan the individual iris. She doesn't need scanning, but everybody else's irises in their eyes. 
need to be scanned for WorldCoin to bring the world a better place and the utopian financial. Uh, this is, sounds like Beijing's new idea for a uh, uh, central bank digital currency. Let's get everybody's irises too. Yes. Uh, Twitter becomes X. Maybe it'll all work in with that. Maybe X will scan your irises so that you, they can become the all-in-one app that Elon Musk wants to have. The So I didn't know this X thing was going to happen. They didn't run this by me, just so you know. And Very few people knew it was going to happen. Was, is that so? I am just sort of surprised. I wonder if there's something more to it in so much as like they needed to get rid of the brand or whatever the situation was, but... It, or just narcissistic sociopathic impulses. <laughs> it, could be. it could be. Uh, it just seemed like a, a solution looking for a problem. You know, there, there will be sort of a, a circular touching of different topics in this because I also have uh, Judeo-Christian roots will ensure U.S. military artificial intelligence is used ethically. And uh, we can talk about that. But that I'm sounds like, ridiculous. We should just let artificial intelligence read all the Marvel comics in the, the library and let them come up with the ethics for uh, all the Marvel Comics weapons. <laughs> why Why Marvel Comics? Why not DC? Well, they'll probably get around to that anyway. We've got to start somewhere. I see. But we could all just do it alphabetically. We could. I think that when you... I think that it's amazing some of the topics that were touched on back in the 60s by Marvel Comics that still resonate with Americans today. Uh, Ultron comes to mind with uh, machine learning and um, you know AI and all that stuff. Well, before that, in the uh, 60s, now, underground comics, that's not a brand, that was a type. Underground comics were uh, comics like um, Robert Crumb, um, uh, some of the other people that names are escaping <laughs> me right now, which I used to know. Like uh, his last name was Griffith, Zippy the Pinhead, and some people like that. Uh, Von Baudet, who did get around to doing some paperback covers and things like that for science fiction and fantasy novels, um, but he had a, a series. Never went too far because it was being sold fanzine style, and before the internet, fanzine styles were definitely a word of mouth or, or not. Not easily accessed, but he had a series called Machines, which are all about fighting machines, which were had developed little personalities and uh, different functions. And uh, it's amazing how close it is getting to his vision now with uh, machines with personalities. And then... Well, before you go on that, I do have this question. Yes. So the first comic... That I'm gonna that I recall purchasing. I'm not talking about Donald Duck when I'm four or anything like that. I um, I w- remember where I was, and you and I happened to be in uh, Bradenton, Florida, right now. It was over on Man. It was a foodway over on Manatee Avenue. Oh, foodway. Yep. And that was my go-to place too. I know. I know you're a fan. It probably didn't last long though. After you. It was Avengers, I believe, 231, wow. uh, the attack of Plant Man. Um, it wasn't any, you know. I think I got Avengers 9 there. Well, that would have been a long, long time yes. ago. Um, Divide by 12, you'll feel like how many years. <laughs> 1963. 64. Yeah. Um, well, this would have been probably 82 is just my guess if yeah. I had to. I'm sure make the math will come out. But I 
you know, I, I, I bought the book. I'm like, ah, I, and I read it and I'm 12, right? And, you know, my, my tastes aren't You're really late, refined. Late bloomer on that. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. Just really, really loved it. And so I went hunting around and I found a comic book store that wasn't too far from my house. I went to that comic book store. The first person I met there was your mom. Marge oh. Reigns. And, and, it was and, a family. <laughs> it was uh, families were drafted in to, to participate. Shortly thereafter, I met your then girlfriend, uh, Sue, and, uh, you know, met you and all that. But uh, to me, the, the contact for comic books was the grocery store. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I don't know if, how far out on a limb I'm going here, but. To, to say that in 1983, that comic book stores were relatively rare, comparative to, say, today or in the 90s or at some point after that. There was a shrinkage in the comic book store population sometime in the 90s, but they're, they're back around now. They've, they've changed quite a bit. Okay. Yeah, I would think that... They're more pop culture stores now. Yeah, my, I was I was... I was aspiring to be a pop culture store. Right. And, you know, like maybe they have little statuettes of, uh, you know, Wonder Woman or Superman or Thanos or whatever. And they sell all kinds of things now at comic book stores as opposed to just comic books. But where did one get these fanzines in the 70s? Well, let's go back to the 60s. Okay. Because um, there was something. The first one I got... Like head shops? Were, no, the head shops didn't exist anywhere around Bradenton. Well, <laughs> I'm talking about nationwide. Yes, um, well, e- even, even nationwide. then, that would have been a, a stretch. Uh, underground comics first appeared in head shops, like in San Francisco and yeah, the okay. area there. But fanzines, magazines, or really, see, so you, you'd have to go back to ditto machines and mimeograph machines. This Xerox a p- was a technological breakthrough yeah, for copying really documents. And so a lot of people would maybe have access to the ditto, mo- ditto machine at their school. Yeah. It was, we used to get our ditto paper with the test, and every kid in the class would be smell s- it. snorting it, huffing yeah. it. And... <laughs> I don't think we really got too much benefit from it, but it was it something to do good. while you're waiting for the test it, to start. And I think it was a groupthink kind of thing. Um, you know, like one person's like, oh, I love the smell of these things. And then pretty soon everybody's smelling the paper. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was yeah. very common. That's, I mean, I never thought, oh, I love the smell of these things. I just, but I always did it. <laughs> right. And, th- and that's how fentanyl <laughs> happens, kids. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, but in Marvel Comics, it probably would have been about six, a year or two after I started, there were like classified ads in Marvel Comics. Yeah. And there was an ad for this thing called the Rocket's Blast Comic Collector. Now, fanzines existed before this. In fact, I think fanzines existed... Well, I didn't know we were doing a comic book show. Uh, well, I, 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 I have the questions, The market may be bigger than whatever it was we've been doing. Well, <laughs> wait until I ask you about your opinion on Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, because I have a listener in particular that will want to see okay. you roasted. Well, anyway, the, the Rock Blast Comic Collector was a really thick, and it, was, um, it wasn't mimeograph. It wasn't ditto machine. I had some things like that that I got later, but this was mass-produced, at least as in the hundreds, maybe thousands, and comic book dealers from all over the place would 
advertise in that. Everything was mail order. But you could see that if you had money, you know, like if you had maybe five or ten dollars, you could get treasure from around the country if they <laughs> if they would handle your order very efficiently. And but then the, the, there would be a certain number of articles in there too, just to to give it some cultural value. Anyway, that that's where it happened, and that's sort of how I found out. Oh, comic books can make you money, which wasn't really my intent. I just loved reading them back then, and which is why some of my comics from 1964 probably have some pictures cut out of them because they wound up on the wall. Yeah, why not? Uh, they had pinups back then. I mean, you you were supposed to cut the the pages Absolutely. out of them. And uh, this is one of the things about comics that I very clearly feel, as far as my son goes, comics are for reading. And in order to read them, kids must produce wear and tear. I don't believe in this holding on and saving of paper stuff. That's for somebody else. I'm not saying it shouldn't be done, but it is not for me and my family. And so I buy the books. I give them to the kid. Read them. Do what it takes. You know, if, if you want to read them in the pool, I don't care. Just read it. Well, and that would really be silly. That would be silly. But, that would, that, um, you better read fast. <laughs> well, <laughs> it depends on the comic book. You're talking and, and, about 1963 comics, whereas, uh, you know, new graphic novels are holding together And just to better. put an ironic punctuation on your your opinion there is we are actually the home in this Manatee, Sarasota County uh, market area of uh, CGC, which I forget what it was, but um, what it stands for. Jay-Z bought the company recently where they, they grade and slab the comic book on it and put it on a scale from, you know, zero to 10 and, uh, it's really from zero to one hundred because they create on a uh, you know point basis. Well, zero to like nine point nine. I would I would still call that zero to ten. Right. All right. But, we're, we're we're splitting hairs here. Anyway, JC wanted a piece of the action on that, and he is now his group is now the ownership group of that. But they do trading cards. They do a lot of different things. Comic books being uh, one of the primary things. And unlike a trading card, which if you were put it between two um, plastic uh, piece, pieces of plastic and sealed that plastic hermetically sealed, you could still look at both sides of the, the, card, the yeah. card. But they put these comics that spark the fantasies and imaginations of generations, and they seal them yep. so that you can't read the story. Yeah, it could, Because if you ever open the plastic once it's been sealed, you've ruined the benefit of... The, the grading, which the benefit of the grading is to get you more money when you go to sell them. So really, you just sell your two pieces of plastic with some color between them to somebody else who, who because it's graded and carries a weight of authority, will hopefully be able to sell it. And it's uh, right. turns it into a it commoditizes know, it, 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 turns it into an investment. Yes. And that's the thing that I don't want and I'm not interested in. I obsessed about how you know, uh, how well my comics were treated. I saw people who obsessed even uh, greater than I. And to me, it's stories. I can get Marvel Unlimited, which is an app, and it allows me to read, to the best of my knowledge, the entire Marvel uh, universe. The Marvel canon? Yeah, the Marvel canon for $60 a year. I'm sure there's some things left out. I, I don't know that they're missing. That's the platinum level. Yeah, right. Well, well, there's probably something out there that they just don't want me to know, and I don't know what that is. 
but it's to me that's that's great. I love it, and I'm I'm happy to share it with my family. Here's the question that is going to well, you put your password out and share it with the audience. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> All the crap they read. The no. Well, maybe if they if they allow you to scan their irises, that'll be a premium they get. So, my question is. Who was the greater creator? Who is responsible for all the glory that is Marvel? Jack Kirby or Stan Lee? Well, it depends on if you want the better marketing and organizational person if, or you want the, the visually um, creative person because... If you look at what Jack Kirby created after he left Marvel, his track record wasn't all that good. If you look at the, what the new he, gods at DC, and then the artist redrawing Superman's face, well, that, that was sort of like the that was the peak of his free agency. Yeah, you know, when leaving Marvel, DC was willing to have him revamp their their lineup. But if you look at what he and Joe Simon, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, Simon and Kirby, yep. created. Uh, prior to World War II, before they both had to uh, enter the armed forces and leave for a little while, and when they came back, they were the creative powerhouses of that generation. Mm -hmm. So Simon and Kirby created Captain America. Uh, Simon and Kirby uh, created... Wasn't wasn't the last name Simon also associated with uh, Superman? I'm sorry, I'm not much of a... Siegel and Schuster. Siegel and Schuster, thank you. Um, There was a, a high percentage of uh, young Jewish men that were involved yes. in the comic book industry who came from the pulp magazine industry yeah. because in the hierarchy of things, the, the you know, ethnic groups that are on the rise will gro- uh, gravitate into businesses where they can build success. So at the highest levels of publishing, that was considered a very waspish kind of uh, executive group. And then... Uh, well, you can say the same thing about movies because um, people moved out uh, to the West and s- started studios, and there was a high percentage of people that were of Jewish, Jewish ethnicity. Yeah, vaudeville actors oddly right. went to acting. Right, <laughs> and so anyway, they they did that in the the comic book industry, and Simon and Kirby, they also did things that probably people don't have any. Uh, any familiarity with if you're younger than you, Mark? If um, there used to be romance comics, yep, they created the genre of romance comics. Not they created, that they created that. romance, okay, but <laughs> they figured out a format that um, they could produce stories about romance that would appeal to uh, female buyers. At least the majority of female buyers were for the romance comics seem to be women or young women. Most of the romance novel purchasers yeah. would probably be and, young women. You know, it was a much more uh, democratic, little little d democratic market that back then that they had. Um, the there used to be. You heard of the Bowery Boys, right? I don't think I have. The Bowery Boys were one of those groups. You we've heard of Little Rascals. Yep. Okay, so one of the genres within movies in the 30s and 40s were young kids or teenagers that formed groups and got into adventures. Gangs. Yes. Um, they, they did the Newsboy Legion. They did uh, some other things like that. They uh, started some Western comics. The Western comics had other, uh, 
other entities, but they created uh, that in the the Western genre. They also worked within the War Comics. The uh, right. there used to be Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos yeah. before Nick Fury got a promotion. Right. That to was Colonel. in the the sixties. That that right. was not so much a, a Simon and Kirby or a Jack Kirby uh, production, but it was. Uh, Pulling on the World War II experience, which basically, uh, in my generation, all our parents had been involved in World War II. And if there wasn't somebody that was in one of the armed forces, you wondered what was going on with them. Indeed. They probably got a chicken feather at some point. Um, So what do you say when people say, hey, uh, it was Jack Kirby or Stan Lee that was truly the genius behind Marvel Comics? Stan Lee was the organizational genius and the marketing genius, and Jack Kirby was the visual genius. But there were a lot of other people that... uh, Stan Lee had created a system of working that maybe we'll talk about when we come back uh, that was unique in the comic book industry, and it was primarily so that Stan Lee could create... Or, or get his fingers on more titles and create more revenue. Um, well, he's not, he, he was editor-in-chief of, you know, the number two comic company in America at that point. Right. And he actually, there, his very first story was a Captain America story uh, that was just like a, a one-page text story. I mean, they actually had, like, little short stories yeah, in comic yeah. books, too. There was a, a, a lot of different things going on there. And you know, if that's you when ever, he was a teenager, a you young ever, teen. If you ever had comics from the 1940s, and you you get a sense of how World War II permeated the culture all the way through, because if you grew up during the Vietnam era, it wasn't something that inspired you to, um, you know, march down the street. But if your dad was there, you probably had a whole another attitude about the whole thing. My daddy served in the army Where he lost his right eye But he blew a flag out in our yard Till the day that he died He wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me To grow up and live happy in the land of the free Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes to vote on. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by the Treasury. In fact, that's exactly how we got this sponsorship. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first, nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. 
It's the Reigns and Edge Show, and welcome back to our next segment. We were in the midst of an important historical discussion of who was the more important. Jack Kirby, Stanley, not just to Marvel Comics, to the whole cultural milieu that we exist in now, Mark, because I would say if you were to scan the cable listings, there's probably more hours of Marvel Comics production than almost anything else. There's only so much Harry Potter. There's there's syndicated shows. I'm not really speaking too much to that. I'm talking about movies. There's only so many James Bond shows. But the Marvel content is all over, and it's reused over and over and over again if you've ever lived in the house with someone that watches it over and over and over again. What do you mean it's reused over and over again? The Marvel content. Are we talking about just the movies being used in like YouTube videos? Well, I was talking YouTube about the movies videos? just then because pretty much everything else is behind a paywall yeah. on Disney+. Plus. But the the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe is pretty much out there if you're beyond you know the last couple years. There yep. You, I mean, it's, it's I've there. got it all. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's it's readily available. And are are you a cable? Do you, in your household do you have cable? Or no, I wouldn't even know how to do that. Uh, I'll bet your mom does though. I bet it goes right into her room. Oh, but uh, I just I, I just have uh, Disney Plus and Amazon Prime, and I think we've got something else. You oh, uh, yeah, my mom has Apple products, so we have Apple TV. What about local news, sports? Don't what? What good is local news going to do to me? Do for me? Well, it's, you've got to find out the weather. Uh, weather shows up on my phone. It's uh, I can tell you the high today is thirty four degrees. But S- centigrade. What about the radar? Well, I'm sure that I could click through. Don't you want to see someone present it to you? No, um, I have a. Presumably, if I'm going to drive a car, it's going to be either my mom's car, my ex-wife's car, or somebody's car, and they're going to have a umbrella in the car. If it is raining, I will pull it out and put it up. There's and so if much not, more to the weather than... Not in Florida, there isn't. It's either hot or not hot, and it is either raining or not raining. Mark. <laughs> Cumulus Kitty. I don't know what that is. Well, the the female anchor for the local news, people send her their pictures of cats looking out the window at the weather. You don't get that on your phone. It's true, I don't. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to convert you at this setting. Because we need to finish this discussion about Lee and Kirby so that we can get on to important things like DeSantis and Ramaswamy. But the 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 big innovation that Stan Lee did because he had so many titles to produce, to put his name on, is... And those titles existed because of the team that was Kirby and Lee. And Ditko John Heck certain. and Steve Ditko. Yep. There were a whole, a whole bunch of them there. But the, the technique over at DC, they did it much more like storyboards with scripts. It would start with the author they, who would write a script... And then the artist would get the script and think about how to illustrate that. With Lee and Kirby and Lee and the other artist, 
they would get together, they would talk about a plot and what was going to happen in the story they were going to tell in that issue. Uh, also, one of the things about DC Comics, they started with the, the comic book cover. They wanted a cover that would get somebody to spend their, their dime to find out what that cover was about. Yes. Or their 12 cents after inflation hit. And with Lee and Kirby uh, and the others, they had the story and then they picked uh, an image that would best represent the story they were telling. So they would have a story... The artists would illustrate it. There'd be some general outline about, you know, we want this in the beginning, in the middle, in the end. And then Here's the hook and- Stan Lee would go back and write the dialogue. And so they might say, well, we need a page of uh, Mr. Fantastic talking to the other Fantastic Four members. And Lee would receive a page of that and, you know, put figure out what he was going to do. And then as time goes by, as they started to create some soap opera, you know, they would, they would discuss that. And so this is making comics the Marvel way, I guess. And <laughs> um, when did they change from that whole thing? I mean... When did who change from that? Marvel. Is that still what they do? I don't know. They haven't kept me in the loop. Did, well, is that what they did on to the 80s? Well, I think that's pretty... Well... You have artist writers now and things like that. Yeah. So I think every artist and writer or combination of that want to, to be at their most creative or yeah. at least is their most revenue generating. And they <laughs> think about the best way to do that. Okay. So. Well, there you go. Um, so my contention. Brains and edge on the comics. Yeah. I, my contention is, is that without each other. Without uh, that, Jack Kirby was never. He was he was always prolific. He always did some amazing stuff. But without Stan Lee, he wasn't at his very best. I mean, that, well, that, he would probably argue that that he was better with Joe Simon. He might, but I would disagree with him. The people that. Uh, Right now, I mean, what did what enduring characters did he and Joe Simon create? Let's start with Captain America. Captain America, Namor, and Human Torch. No, no Bill Everett uh, did that. Human Torch was um, Carl Burgess. Okay, so uh, we've got one uh, enduring character worth talking about out of the uh, Simon. That's, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good record for some uh, a character that has endured for. 80 years. 80 years. Yeah. Um, it's good. Uh, but if you look at those 1961, two, three, 61 through 65, you know, Fantastic Four, all four characters. Avengers, five characters, plus adding. No, um, those are already existing individual characters. Which ones are you referring to? Are you talking well, about Human Thor, Torch? There was. No. Yeah, but, but Thor was barely Hulk. existing, and the journey into mystery hadn't even Iron turned Man. into. Yeah, I mean, these weren't. Avengers came after those things. I, they did, yes, yeah. but the, they weren't what they were until the Avengers stuck them together. And by the way, Captain America didn't exist without the Avengers. Basically, they he, he no he he existed without the Avengers I, because he preceded the Avengers. He wasn't published at that time. Well, you, you I'm just yes, yes, Mark. Our existence started in your lifetime. And then X-Men comes around. Um, I mean, all these characters. 
What's that? Children of the Atom. Yep. There, there were so many of the, uh, so many of these characters that were come up with in that time frame, and so many of the, so much of the creation was done by that duo, by Kirby and Lee. And I think that's amazing. You can't give them enough credit. But once they're not you could together, give more money. What's that? You could give them more money. Well, you can't give Jack Kirby any more money, and you can't give Stan Lee any more money. You could give their estate. I know, well, but I, what's I, the point of Stan that? Stan Lee was not prolific as creating children, but um, the Kirby estate is out there. Yeah, uh, I'm sure Kirby's kids would love more of your money, but... Well, yeah, history is such an important topic. And I think that this is a... Uh, this is, Well, the topic of intellectual property is very interesting to me, is while I would like to see Jack Kirby rewarded... Um, for his efforts, I don't really much care for rewarding for his kids. So you know, eh, didn't do anything for me. Well, I, I'm sure your son will take interest in that opinion. My son better get his butt to work. <laughs> well, how about he get a driver's license first? He has one. I had a learner's permit. Okay. Oh, yeah. Give him, give him a chance to enjoy his innocence. <laughs> God, what's the point of that? Did our did our forefathers enjoy their innocence? I, I, I know you're. I think they hung one of the kids uh, from the bounty at twelve. He's he's a very creative young man, and he needs to be fostered in all his creative pursuits, or mentored, or something like that. Indeed, I don't know what, what fostered. You need, you need to foster his creativity and mentor it. <laughs> is I think the proper use of the words. But have we have we covered this now for I'm fine with it. I just wanted to get my uh, thoughts out on that subject. Okay. Well, we have some leftover loose threads from last week. Yeah. We talked about the the Florida curriculum that would... The... Where... There was a new black history curriculum. and Actually, it was social studies curriculum and it was addressing... One of the components of it was to address slavery and how it's presented in social studies, especially middle school, high school. And Governor Ron DeSantis had signed the the bill into law. um, One of the things that they had said in the instructions of, yeah, you haven't seen it all. I think I sent you the link. Well, yeah, but really it's, it's not even, it's more than double space. It's like, it's like an outline. You know, okay. So if you look on one page, you might see six or 12 kind of sentences there. So the, but the, the black history part is about 12 pages okay. that are just in outline form. So it's not overwhelming for people to, to go over this, and especially as in journalists going over this and trying to get an idea of, of what's in there. So one of the things that stuck out was that Florida students were to be taught that the enslaved people could, some of them would have benefited from the skills they were taught as slaves or that they accumulated as slaves. Now, and I think that, that if that's the most uh, jaw-dropping thing that they found in the curriculum, that the rest has to be pretty mild because clearly um, somebody who does things, you know, like learned skills, benefits from those skills at some point in life. I mean, I get, I don't think that justifies slavery, and I don't 
didn't see any place in any of the articles where they say it was a justification. Well, why don't we hear it from the governor's mouth himself? Uh, this is courtesy of uh, a report by Jonathan Lemire, but it really is was a public uh, session with Governor DeSantis. It wasn't a, a solo interview or anything. He, Governor DeSantis was in a press conference, and he was asked about that issue himself. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis appears to be trying to distance himself from the recent changes that have been made to his state's public school curriculum. Now, last week, the Florida Board of Education approved new guidelines for teaching black history, which suggests that enslaved people reaped benefits from skills acquired during centuries of forced labor. This pro- Now, to go back to your point before we hear from the governor, that... So the the enslaved person was could be taught a skill, perhaps carpentry or blacksmith or whatever, and then he would benefit from that skill because thirty years later, when he was still enslaved, he could continue to be a carpenter and blacksmith. Well, I think that there are as many stories of slavery as there were people that were enslaved. And there were millions. And I, rem- I recall, and I can't come off the top of my head with this guy's name, but he uh, won a lottery and he took the money from the lottery and bought his freedom. Now, the way he was able to pay for the tickets, he, he held a slave. It was, he was part of a slave rebellion after he was free. Uh, very interesting story. He's trying to get his wife free. Anyway, um, the, you know, they were slaves were allowed to earn. In some cases, slaves were allowed to earn money that, uh, with extra work and things like that. So I think it is still. Well, fair what does the anecdotal story every, that you're telling have to do with uh, the broader curriculum directive that they're going to use to instruct? I think the that children? there's two traps, right? The slaves had a really great trap, and there's the. Everything was Django Unchained trap, right? And when, in fact, it was both of those things were true because there were certainly slaves that had it pretty good and there were certainly slaves that had it really awful and died very, very young. What was pretty good? Um, I would guess that Thomas Jefferson's uh, wife slash... uh, Concubine? Concubine, fine, had it pretty good. Just a guess. But I I do believe that there are people out there that just don't have. A wife might have had it better. Do you believe that every story is as bad as the worst slave story? That's a very uh, almost micro anecdotal story. Uh huh. Uh, The the concubine or mistress uh, of uh, a slave owner. The enslaved mistress and concubine uh, had it pretty good. Let's let's get back to the issue at hand, which was really that this is what the directives are. This is a priority in the the teaching about slavery. This is this is going to be one of the ideas that they judge the effectiveness of the teacher teaching these ideas. Well, I think that there's um, this is also this is a reaction to the critical race theory theories uh, by some college professors that believe that communism is better explained through in in the Western hemisphere is better explained through a, a lens of race than it is through a lens of. Well, that's something to be discussed. But this object of this 
story is the fact that our governor is so thin-skinned and unable to take responsibility for anything. This is what he had to say when he was asked about it. This prompted DeSantis to defend his state while also denying any personal responsibility for the new education standards. Take a listen. Well, you should talk to them about it. I mean, I didn't do it and I wasn't involved in it. Um, but I think um, I think what they're doing is I think that they're probably going to show um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed, uh, you know, being a blacksmith into into doing things later later in life. Um, but the reality is all of that is rooted in whatever is factual. They listed everything out. And if you have any questions about it, just ask the Department of Education. You can talk about those folks. But I mean, these were scholars who put that together. It was not anything that was um, that was done politically. I didn't have anything to do with it. It was scholars. It was, you know, he's obviously floundering with this. He does knows how ridiculous it sounds. Maybe we should just, let, let me give him another shot. Maybe he'll make it clearer this time. To them about, it. I mean, I didn't do it, and I wasn't involved. I didn't in it, do it, um, but I think um, even there. I think what they're doing is, I think that they're probably going to show um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed uh, the folks that were enslaved, being a blacksmith into into doing things later later in life um but the reality is all of that is rooted in whatever is factual they listed oh, everything out break. so that's is that the profiling courage of a of a presidential um aspirant is that is that really where you want to go with that well um i mean at this point all he's doing is competing against trump so oh uh, <laughs> contraire Ah, contraire, Mark. Okay. Well, go ahead and finish your thought. Well, I mean, uh, my good friend Aaron Day is running against him, and what this uh, Vivek, uh, I don't know his last name, it's, I just can't nail it. What What is Vivek's last name? Shashwami or? Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy, yeah. Um, well, there was one of the candidates that took Governor DeSantis for task on this, and it may not have helped him with his Republican potential voters, but it does, at least in my opinion, have a little bit more rationality to it here's governor chris christie i didn't do it and i'm not involved in it are not the words of leadership um you know look governor DeSantis started this fire with the bill that he signed and now he doesn't want to take responsibility for whatever is done um in the aftermath of it and from listening and watching his comments he's obviously uncomfortable he only started to focus on this when he decided he wanted to run for president and try to get to the right of Donald Trump. And so I think people see this as politically manipulative. And, and I'm talking about, Margaret, we're dividing our country into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. Yeah. And politicians are pitting them against each other to create conflict. And that's not going to make the country bigger, better, stronger or freer. I agree with him. I agree 100 percent with Chris Christie on that. Think that'll get him any votes? No. And that's the problem. Is is the the problem is is that the people who agree with him will never vote for him. Um, and I don't know what else to say about that. It's shame. I do agree that the political system is broken, and I don't have any ways to solve that particular problem. Um, you know, stop giving liars and thieves uh, your attention. I don't have any other solution. Well, the purpose of the political system is to accumulate power. The purpose of a political party is to get people elected to accumulate power. So the system is working. But <laughs> the, the question is, is it working for the people that vote 
for these people. It's a and republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. Yes. And that's the problem. Is, is I don't know that we kept it. Well, uh, what I, it, is it was it the Princeton study? This thing's got to be 10 years old now that says that the United States system more closely tracks to an oligarchy than it does to a democracy. That, uh, you know, whatever problems and benefits are inherent in a democracy, we are closer to the problems and benefits inherent in an oligarchy. Um, you can look this up if you... Uh, wondering, but I think Princeton studied well, I could look oligarchy. at the Constitution and see how it was enshrining slavery for the oligarchs in the South in the rural uh, agrarian part of the country, and also enshrining uh, political power by giving the people that weren't considered people based on the the enslavement, weren't considered citizens, but allowing the, the people that controlled their lives, that viewed them as property, a three-fifths of a vote, or is three, not three-fifths of a vote, but three-fifths of waiting uh, in the, the representation in the central government. But let's, let's put that aside for just a moment. So we both heard, we heard from Governor DeSantis, a presidential wannabe, Chris Christie, at least a two-time presidential wannabe. Why don't we hear from somebody that actually knows something about being presidential? Well, nobody else can make a decision to me because I was the president and the final decision comes to the president, you know. I used to have a sign on my desk to the buck stops here. The buck stops at the president's desk when he's president of the United States and he either makes the decisions or he lets them go by default. And you can't afford to do that when you're president. That was Harry Truman, former president at that time. I'm glad he's taking responsibility for killing all those civilians and when he dropped the bomb. And buck stops there. Yeah. Well, well I, you I'm know sure, what? I'm he sure he never, would have taken credit for it because he, he... He really never did shy away from the fact that he did it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it also speaks to the fact that in modern uh, culture, you know, because it was like really the 1960 election when TV really started to take hold in the presentation and the articulateness of the candidate. I mean, after Harry Truman, it was Eisenhower elected twice. And... Eisenhower could have run on either political yep. party. You have all those World War II veterans. Yep. That, that he, he was pretty much a shoe-in on that. He was uh, very moderate. Right. Um, Republican. I, I'm not going to play this whole thing, but just think about this. If this were the voice of the person on the debate stage with the other Chris Kiss, Christie's and Ron DeSantis, what would you think of a voice that sounded like Well, that? nobody else can make the decision to me because I was the president. I mean, given that the, the microphone might be a little rough. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, and, I'm and sure the that there's some audio issues going on, but I still don't know what he's saying exactly. Oh, he's, I was expecting when you said you had a Truman clip um, earlier, I was expecting the uh, the whole transatlantic accent, you know, the Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. I mean, FDR is famous for his transatlantic a uh, accent, but uh, Truman, no, he sounds like he, he just the, came out of a woodshed in uh, the, Tennessee. One of the few presidents, if not the only president that never graduated from college. Who is uh, Truman? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I've, I've got just the money part of the quote down here. So he'll, he, he said this before, so you'll, you can tell after playing that first part, this is where he, he gets ready to give you the, the money. The buck stops here. The buck stops at the president's desk when he's president of the United States. Even that's a little rough, though. 
Yeah, well, that's where you can tell the uh, – he, he said it many times, so you, I would presume that's as clear as he gets, whatever that is. Yeah, I, think, I think he lived another eight or ten years after um, – after, so he probably had a you – know, the benefits or, or, or the hassles of aging probably affected his speech a little bit too. Indeed. Well, Mark, we have gotten through another segment and. My goodness, we're going to have to come up and uh, maybe we'll stick on the the presidential track and see what else we have. Protection. Eleutheromania. The insatiable desire for freedom. Filibuster. Holy state. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. Here on Reigns and Edge. I want to thank you for listening to the Free Talk Live Network. I'm Mark Edge. Henry Reigns. And we were talking about presidential hopefuls here, Henry. I, I think we've got a little more to do. Oh, well, your buddy. The, Who's that? Well, the person, the probably the only known candidate for president of the great United States of America. That is a Free Talk Live listener. That's right. That's that's so I've heard anyway. Vic, that's what he said. Well, if he said it, it must be true. Right. Well, Arya said it. <laughs> I think he said it to her. Well, there you go. Which is interesting that uh, such a conservative individual would end up talking to Arya at all. Well, he's got to, you know, the 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 converted are the strongest believers. Okay. <laughs> Most committed believers. It, they, they are. Yes. Often so. Yes. Well, who are we talking about besides a, a listener? Because any of your listeners could decide they want to be president, or many of them probably have. Another, <laughs> Actually, another listener, um, Aaron Day, is also running, too, in the, on the Republican ticket. Right now? This, this yep. cycle? Yep. Is he polling? Is it he or she? He. Uh, he is polling probably very poorly, would be my guess, but... Uh, he is his whole shtick is he wants to see a bank run. Oh, well, I'm sure that will cause the the populace to back <laughs> run <laughs> well, right to him. He does he does warn them to get their money out of the banks uh, beforehand. So yeah, yeah, there you are. All right. Well, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, didn't attract all that much attention when he launched his presidential bid in February, and that's not that long ago. About, right, well, about it's, six uh, July months now. by my count. Yeah. Uh, he's a. Well, we got about six months left. No, if you haven't won, if you if you don't have some W's in in your column by uh, early February, you are a has been in this uh, little game. Well, you also need more time than six months to really build your war chest up. Mm. But well. He's actually jump-started his war chest himself. Anyway, he's a 37-year-old multimillionaire who made his fortune working at a hedge fund. Uh, 
And then as a biotechnology entrepreneur, it would be interesting to see uh, how his hedge fund performed during COVID. And the Ramaswamy had never served in government and was new to politics because that's what we love. We love the outsiders. We love the people Especially with no experience. <sighs> yeah. Um, uh, he began making a name for self. I think he has a podcast, though. He had a podcast. Okay. Didn't he? You don't know? You don't You I, don't track this stuff? You no. Know? I Basically, at this point, I'm keeping an eye on uh, the polls and, you know, seeing who the big names are, but that's about it. All right. Anyway, uh, he began making a name for himself as an anti-woke crusader, but it wasn't a name that most Republican voters had heard about. Well, that's getting to change. He's starting to become a darling of media, at least getting more of that. Uh, he blanketed the early state trail with uh, conservative mainstream. He's got a reputation for talking to anybody. Uh, well, that, uh, which you pretty you, much have to at this uh, stage yeah, of the game, I mean, right? If, if you don't have hundreds of millions of dollars and a couple billionaire sugar daddies to get your message out for you, then you probably should talk to everybody. Uh, but on Monday, Ramaswamy stood at third place nationally in the primary field. Uh, although still a healthy distance from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who trails President Donald Trump. Uh, they have shown, a number of surveys have shown Ramaswamy surging, so he's doing something right. Surging uh, from what to what? <laughs> well, One to the bottom line is he's going to be the number three at the next debate when they're all up on stage. Okay. So I guess they'll, if Donald Trump is there, they would go to him first and then Ron DeSantis, and then they work their way through the pecking order. But they well, asked, if Ramaswamy can be beating out, you know, known names like Chris Christie and Mike Pence. Yeah. <laughs> well, he already is in the polling. Right. So he had this to say. Maybe it happened a tad earlier than we expected, talking about the surge in the polling. But at the time we started this race, I believed I was running to be the next president of the United States and lead a national revival. We're just getting warmed up. Uh, for months, voters have frequently brought up Ramaswamy to NBC News and in interviews on the campaign trail as someone they wanted to learn more about and were particularly interested, even if it was not ultimately to be president. Uh, one supporter... I think Vivek was a really good shot. I think that Vivek has a really good shot. He is an underdog, but he is highly intelligent. Madison Kirchner. So, of, uh, that's what I hear, by the way. Well, he's managed at least to get the, to third place, and he's only 37 and only a multimillionaire. At least the press uh, is working for him on that. I got to say, I mean, as you're stepping down for just one second here, what's one of the first phrases that you hear, that you think of after you hear the name Prince, right? The artist formerly known as... Prince? He's a musical genius. I mean, you know that's a PR company that put that out. And if the thing that you think of when you think of Vivek Ramaswamy after this election is he's a highly intelligent individual, the run was worth it. I think the Republican voters will never nominate a Hindu... uh, person of Indian descent. Why? For Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. I have a an example of why he might be uh why they might become disenchanted with him. 
Anyway, Madison Kirchner, a voter from Pittsburgh who is backing Trump, said at the conservative group Turning Point Actions Conference this month. Is it Tulsi Gabbard, who's recently turned Republican, also a Hindu of some sort? Yes, yeah, she is a Hindu. Mm-hmm. But they like her. They they didn't. Well, that was the Democratic Party. They didn't nominate her either. No, no, the Democrats mm-hmm. couldn't nominate her. Uh, yes, they couldn't get behind. I had a yard sign for her out in my yard, but uh, for, well, for all that we, did. We, we'll have a chance to talk about that. I like listening to him speak. I think that he has a very good shot and would be in a great position for Trump's VP. Well, that's not really what Ramaswamy's uh, goal is. <laughs> running, running for. <laughs> uh, but Vivek, this is another potential sport, was a pleasant surprise. Lynn Proudfoot, a conservative activist in Iowa, said after the Faith and Freedom Coalition spring kickoff earlier this year, he's young, he's ethnic, he's a Bible-believing Christian. Oh. Just everything that I think would appeal to a cross-section of our people, others. He's a sharp guy. I definitely want to find out more about him and follow him more closely. Could be uh, describing Tim Scott there. That would <laughs> that would fit the the definition a little bit more because I believe he is a Bible believing Christian. At least he could convince you of that a lot more than the uh, Christian the Hindu. following yeah. um, Hindu. Um, Ramaswamy, who says he is qualified for the first presidential debate, has been quick to pledge to pardon Trump if elected. Well, that's. Check off that box. Well, Christians have shown that they'll vote for a non-Christian, uh, you know, faithfully. I mean, look at Trump. Um, I mean, they, they supported him, and he's no real Christian. Have they shown that they will vote for a person whose faith believes in a pantheon of gods? Not currently, but <laughs> the, wor- the, the America's changing. <laughs> anyway, he's been quick, quick to pride in Trump. He's released a p- list of potential picks for the Supreme Court. I wonder where that overlaps uh, with some of the uh, uh, think tanks and uh, special interest groups. Uh, he's out plan- outlined plans to shut down the FBI and Education Department. And if this is accurate in their phrasing... I won't does- miss the FBI, i got to say. That doesn't mean replacing <laughs> that just means shut them down Turn well i don't blanks. i can't I, i've read the eighth the ninth and tenth amendments it says things that aren't specifically mentioned in the uh, in the constitution are remanded to the states and the people respectively and neither the department of education nor the fbi are mentioned so i gotta say that sounds constitutional to me yeah, i do see opportunity for you for you and free talk live here um he has unveiled an eyebrow-raising fundraising strategy. I would be whoever the author of this. I don't. I haven't raised my eyebrows yet. Uh, <laughs> that will give donors ten percent of the total amount of cash they raise for him. Nice. So, why can't Three Talk Live become a bundler for Ramaswamy? He is a listener. What's the term? A bundler. A bundler. Yeah, yeah, that was like like the. I used to work for a bundler for uh, Senator Dole when he was running for president. That, that was usually a. They they got their titles when they could bundle a hundred thousand dollars of. Uh, but I would think you could go much beyond that at Free Talk Live with the vast audience that's out there, and. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play the good news bit. is that the organization that owns Free Talk Live, the Shire Free Church, has been uh, financially quite successful, and we don't need to look at it, look at the world that way. Oh, you need to spread the wealth around. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
There's needy people out there, Mark. It sounds like Ramaswamy is a very successful hedge fund operator, so he'll be all right. Uh, I don't know. Because it says it's not all rainbows and sunshine for Ramaswamy at the moment. Uh, he raised $7.74 million last quarter. $5 million was from the candidate himself. He needs the help. <laughs> uh, anyway, I've got audio, but, but we'll find out a little bit more about him from his own words. But what would you like to add to this? I can't say that I want to add anything. Um, I don't know that much about him. My, the only thing I know is is that he uh, perhaps doesn't agree with me entirely on issues like immigration. Mm. All right. What does he disagree with? Well, um, I don't know his platform, but I do know what Republicans think about immigration. Oftentimes, they'll say things like... Um, we are the immigration laws we have are fine. We just need to enforce them and things like this. When in fact, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats, everybody in America benefits right now uh, from lower prices on produce, food, all kinds of things because we have this kind of second class citizenry uh, that we call Ill- illegal aliens in this country. And I feel like these people need a path to a better life. And that's why I've advocated for something I call... <laughs> well, we were just talking about the curriculum in Florida. We we had a, evidently a better uh, way of benefiting people. Illegal aliens will benefit from the, uh, the skills that they learned <laughs> while being employed as illegal aliens. I, well, actually, growing up in Florida, uh, I remember about every five to ten years, there'd be uh, a major bust of... Uh, uh, modern day slavery for farm workers. Yeah, where the contractors got them together, put them out, and uh, you know now it's, you don't have to run as far to find some civilization, but you know be in the center of the state, away from everything, and they would just once they got here, they were staying here. But Terry Sullivan, the campaign manager for Senator Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential bid, who knows a thing or two about failed presidential campaigns. <laughs> said that Ramaswamy follows a long line of long shots who catch lightning in a bottle in a presidential race with strong messaging and great personalities, a.k.a. Herman Cain and the 2016 primary. Well, you know, in the 2016 primary, this just kept happening over and over again. And to some extent, Trump just caught it at the right time. I remember Trump, uh, a Trump event in New Hampshire where... It was just no one there. Very early on, people weren't taking the Donald Trump campaign seriously. And then by the end of it, they certainly were. Yes, they were. And also, whenever you get attention uh, from the media and they start digging into your past, the the bloom goes off the rose a little bit. Yeah, uh, He started to receive some more critical coverage, semaphore, which is... I don't even read Semaphore, but recently uh, reported that the investment firm he founded to push back on ESG, environmental, social, and government, uh, investing policy widely ridiculed by conservatives, now dialing back its anti-woke rhetoric in hopes of courting more investors. So evidently, you know, you can't let your rhetoric get in the way of the making the money on the, the woke causes. ABC News highlighted Ramaswamy's staunch condemnation of Trump's actions related to the January 6th. 2021 attack on the Capitol, but he's offered a pardon Trump. So there you go. There you go. So 
That'll that'll solve that problem. <laughs> do you want to hear a little bit of him? Sure. Okay. You got an audio clip? I love that you do these audio clips like a real radio host. It's so awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I I take that just as the way it was delivered. <laughs> no, I, we never this, do that. This actually, he was talking to Tucker Carlson on this next clip, but I think this is post Tucker Carlson's departure from Fox News, which which talking to Tucker Carlson post departing Fox News is like yelling across the street at your neighbor <laughs> for all the other neighbors to hear, but. Let's give Ramaswamy uh, a little bit of chance here. It's just a short clip. Isn't Tucker getting huge numbers uh, post-Fox News? Uh, He had a couple good starting numbers on Twitter, but it's been declining steadily ever since. Okay, well, he's probably going to find his equilibrium wherever that is. Many things about Twitter have declined uh, swiftly. My imagination or people who weren't raised in traditional religious households, who haven't spent a lot of time thinking about theology, all of a sudden talking about God a lot. Do you notice that? I do notice that, actually. And I think this is a good sign. I've got lots of gods to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) This found sounded very much like one of those uh, the, the late night shows where, you know, the star comes on, gives a little index card of things that the host is supposed to ask them about it. Uh, so I hear you don't like matching socks, you know, like that kind of thing. It really felt like that. I, I remember when Tucker Carlson was a regular guest, weekly guest on the Bubba the Love Sponge radio show here in Tampa Bay and on a couple other markets around the country. And he said some... Tuck and Clem. Yeah, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> uh, he was had some controversial thoughts then. Well, let's hear what else is here. Because you know, there's an old expression, right? If there's a hole the size of God in your heart and God does not fill it, Something else will instead. That's what's happened in the last decade in our country. Something else, some secular religion has filled that void. But it hasn't really satisfied our moral hunger. Right? And so that's kind of that effect is fading. And I think people are. So what has filled that void? Could it be ethics? No, (laughs) that probably isn't what he's talking about. I wonder what is it wokeism is that's what's filling this is that the religion that's filling this hole in our hearts Mark well I think that it would differ for different people but I would say that for some people it is Um, for others you know it's probably model trains or something Hmm. there you go worshiping Lionel (laughs) you you don't have to I mean just whatever you're passionate about I think to some extent is uh, is what he's talking about I think he's meaning something else i think i think it's a, a fill in the blank for his potential listeners where they'll they'll come up with whatever sure. it is that they don't want in people's hearts and they'll say oh he's like me he's he thinks just like me hungry to turn back to the real thing the conversation's coming up but they say it with a kind of prudishness yes right right god is a four-letter word. It's sort of a thing you have to tiptoe around. Wait, wait, wait. i got to take him up right on this. God is a three-letter word. The nuclear family (laughs) makes some people uncomfortable when I say it, but actually this is the best-known form of governance to mankind. All right. Somewhere in all that, he he hit the nuclear family buzzwords. Yep. And it's the best form of governance. 
to mankind. Nuclear family, I will give you, is probably the best way to organize a nuclear family. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's really how you govern. Well, I think that the idea is, is that uh, there was that that there was governance in the form of family, and if a family functions well, governance isn't particularly necessary after that. Um, that you know you're doing the right things, and you a good man needs no government, right? I don't know about that. Okay. I I think good men do bad things and sometimes you got to get them back in line. Well, I think the notion is is that good men don't do bad things um and out there I would say in fact that um one I'm, man's good maybe another five men's bad. Well, that's where you have the sort of problem of democracy, right? Uh where some guys are like, "Well, you know, I, we have opinions about how you're operating. I like that's why I like the non-aggression principle, which is what libertarians organize themselves by. Is is that the 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 first thing is is that you don't aggress against other people. You honor your word. You do what you say you're going to do. By the time you say you're going to do it, and you don't cause other people harm that haven't caused you harm. And if you do, you make good up. You make up for it. And that these sort of principles, if we operate by them, allow people to live together. I'm not saying that everybody's going to get along, but that the, allows everybody to live together. It's when everybody wants to tell everybody else how they're going to live. That's when the problems occur. Whether it's the Ohio uh, people getting in your bedroom like from last week, or it's um, somebody throwing you in jail for not using the proper pronouns. All right. Well, let's see what else he has to say here in their last few seconds before we have to take leave of him and so if we start talking more about hey that's what we're running to that's actually what we stand for yes we are one nation i'm a citizen of this nation not some nebulous global citizen somewhere else that it is one nation under god yes it is a nation that is stronger when we ground ourselves in the unit of the family then i notice something happens especially for younger people across the country, Tucker, is they're more open to that message than they thought, but they need someone to serve it up to them. And I think as a, I'm, I'm the first non-politician, but I'm also a younger person in this race. I don't have a ton of experience running governments before, but I think in yeah, reaching no younger people, <laughs> that's something I feel called to do in this race. And it's why we're traveling college campuses across this country. So what and experience I am about what I see? What experience did Barack Obama have when he walked into the White House? I mean, besides the state legislature and the Senate and the. I mean, that's not that, that's more than he has. an executive branch. Sure, it is. I mean, anybody can, uh, you know, I think that the president has turned from, sadly, a, an administrative job, which is what it's supposed to be, to a much more of a rhetorical job. Now, legislator is a rhetorical job. You're supposed to give your opinion and then vote on legislation, these kind of things. But presidents turned into that. If I'm sworn into the office, I promise I will close Guantanamo, build a wall, and, you know, whatever. We need a Stan Lee, not a Jack Kirby running this country.
Our Matrix server is about as free as Internet chat can be. Join the existing rooms or create your own at chat.freetalklive.com. The Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church.shiresociety.com. It's Rains and Edge coming back at you again, just like Boomerang, Mark. I'm Henry Rains. I'm Mark Edge. I've, I guess I've thrown things like, uh, do you remember like the three-pronged boomerang that they Nerf made at one point? Yeah. That thing came back, but I haven't had a lot of success with making boomerangs come back. Well, you needed some aboriginal instruction probably yeah. with all of that. You need to get back to old-time values, old-time skills. <laughs> you know, and you're not going to find that in a big city. You're not going to find... Barely anybody that uses a boomerang of either two-prong or three-prong to hunt for their food. Probably not. It sounds like a terrible way to uh, to get your food. Probably get you arrested. Maybe in some small town somewhere. That may be what they do in a small town. (laughs) That may be what they try in a small town. Uh, Why does that sound familiar? Well... Jason Aldean. We talked about it. I thought we had beat him to death last year. Or rather, excuse me. Uh, pardon me. I, I didn't mean that. I, if I offended anybody, especially Mr. or Mrs. Aldean, it was not my intent. It was people are so sensitive these days. And you know how that is, Jason, because you tell us, not just now, but over and over again in the past, over the last 10 years, whenever he did anything that... More most people would know would be offensive to uh, big groups of people, and said he didn't have any idea. He he's almost from that Ron DeSantis school. I wasn't there. I didn't have anything to do with that stuff. But those other them other people did. It must have been them scholars over there. They didn't explain it to me. I wasn't there. I wasn't part of it. They didn't explain to me why this was offensive. Anyway. Well, Jason Aldean is getting, as you may remember, the blowback from uh, Try That in a Small Town. We talked about that. We talked about the fact that the video was released uh, about a month and a half after the song was released. And actually, I can do better than that for the audience. I can just let them hear the opening thing. What I want, But what I want to do in this, I want you to listen to the hierarchy of the things that just try it in a small town. Now, the reason I, I say that is 
I, I didn't notice this last week when we were talking, but there is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It starts, I think, with the sucker punch. It starts with the sucker punch. There's the carjacking. There's uh, the liquor store break-in. Yeah. But then listen to the things that come after that, and I'll tell you why that was something that uh, I thought you should pay attention to. So if you somebody on the sidewalk Carjacking old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of the liquor store You think it's cool at the food Okay, that was the three things, if you couldn't make it out. Uh, Sucker punch somebody, somebody on the yeah. sidewalk, yeah. the the carjacking the old lady, the the liquor store robbery. And you also have video there. We have a few things that we've been found out about the video. Well, we didn't find it out. The entire world, anybody that took an interest in this and uh, a negative interest has been perusing uh, both the source material and Jason Aldean's. But now I'll, I'll ask you after I play this little bit. You tell me the next two things after I've, I've played them, what they are. So... Okay. It's probably hard to, to So a stomp it. on a flag and burn it. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what the video shows. It cuss out a cop and spit in his face. Right. Okay. So let's let's break this down a little bit. So this, it's taken taken aside with the uh, Blue Lives Matter flag. All right. When you want a person to become more and more radicalized, you don't start out there. You start out at that moment of agreement, sure. showing that you have something in common. Now, who wouldn't, well, if you're, you might be too scared to do it, but who wouldn't agree that if you see somebody about to be sucker punched on the sidewalk, you should call out, you could try and stop, you could do, do different whatever things. You can. That, yeah. that shouldn't be allowed to stand. I don't know that that would be a thing in, that you wouldn't say in a big city, too. Hey, don't! Watch out! Yeah. Then the next thing there is... There are some uh, historical examples, uh, recent and past, of uh, people just sort of ignoring uh, you know, bad things happening, especially in big but cities. It, it, as yeah. far as the thing itself, big town, small town, if you just showed it to the person, they say, oh, that's bad. Yep. Um, somebody should do something. Somebody yep. should do it. Not, somebody. I'm not going to do anything, but somebody should do yep. something. And then the next thing, the carjacking the old lady. Well, yeah, that's uh, you know, they might have a gun. I'm not jumping in that car. Somebody should do something though. Right. And then the uh, liquor store hold up. Well, I'm not. You know, the liquor owner store owner probably has a gun anyway. You know, there's guns involved. I'm not jumping in the store. Well, there's plenty of places in America where a liquor store where. And basically nobody but a police officer is allowed to own a gun. So those are the places where it seems like crime is the highest. I would say that the that you're right, that a liquor store owner with a gun is less likely to get well, robbed the, the, over time. Uh, let, let's follow the progression here, though. Yep. But the next thing is uh, both of those things. Let me, let me make it say it this way. Both of those things rise to the level of a felony. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the carjacking, the armed robbery of the liquor store, the uh, assault was a sucker punch with deadly, you know, somebody would say with deadly fourth, perhaps. Um, I bet you're spitting in a cop's face is a felony, too. Well, let me get there. <laughs> but, but those are all felonies done to other people. Yep. The spitting in the face of the cop. Do we? Do you really need to step in there? The cop can't handle that situation himself, being spit in the face. I don't think you need to jump into that situation. But no. you're, you're pulling the vigilante th- a card out of this now, and then the burning of the flag—that's protected free speech. Mm. Why? Why does somebody need to step up and do something on that? That's. That sounds like vigilanteism too. I, and then you can't say, "Oh, well, I'm not talking vigilanteism." I guess what I'm, what I got out of it when I heard him was saying that these are things that would not be put up with in a small town. Who wouldn't put up with them? Well, uh, the, the den- townspeople, the denizens of a small town would yeah, be. Yeah, what would they do? I think the Stop suggestion. You with violence. There are plenty of people who wear T-shirts that suggest that they would use violence upon you for stomp- stomping on a flag. Um, absolutely, and that would be wrong. I would consider that uh, absolutely wrong. Yeah. That would be a felony committed against somebody that if, was doing protected free speech. If you own the flag, right, you haven't stolen somebody else's flag and stomped upon it, then, um, you know, as far as I'm the, concerned. The greater point that I'm trying to make here is yeah. he says he isn't promoting vigilanteism. He isn't promoting violence, except he's saying do something about these horrible things that he starts with. And he works the list down to things that you really shouldn't do anything about. You you know, you don't need to step in between the cop and the right. protester when there's a bunch of other cops around. You don't need to do any forceful act against somebody burning the flag because it's protected free speech. So you can't say that like he says so many of these things uh, that oh, I didn't know. That was the feeling. I didn't write this song. Someone, a songwriter, wrote this. <laughs> That's. I, I have a similar feeling about what he's trying to get across. Is and, that, and that that's beyond the fact that the setting, the courthouse, was where the lynching occurred in I think 1927 or 1926, where the uh, race riot of Columbia happened uh, nearby where the black community was terrorized by people shooting randomly through their houses and law enforcement going in there, ripping people out of their houses. But he said, oh, I didn't know anything about the courthouse. I didn't know anything. I think I'm not saying any visual anything. We're, we're establishing a pattern here as we would in a courthouse, but <laughs> which is what we were talking so about. So if those are the only two things, you kind of have to let him go because... Eh, you know, this isn't a pattern. It hasn't yet reached a well, pattern. It is, it is a pattern. But one other thing that uh, goes with that is the images that are in the video are to make you think that these look like Black Lives Matter protests. Yep. They're, they're not even from in this country in most of these cases. The, the release of music video praising, his newest music video featured multiple clips of protests outside of the U.S., including Canada and Ukraine, uh, TikTok sleuths, which is, is a thing now, Mark. There's, there's people on TikTok that have the time and effort to go and do the searches on There have that. always been people on the Internet that have the time and the effort. Well, now <laughs> it's TikTok sleuths because yeah. that's who has the audience. 
They, uh, in a series of TikToks posted Thursday, uh, someone named Stark, which uh, multiple outlets have uncovered clips that featured the video originated in Canada. That was the 2010 G20 protest. Uh, the person began looking at the protest footage on a hunch. Anyway, we can go on this. And the point being that it's like I didn't have anything to do with the production. That was an outside production. They bought stock imaging from all this. But it, it's, it gets less and less uh, believable over time. How, uh, you know, I think that this would be a point in my career where I would stop and ask myself, how do I want to handle this in the future? Because he looks like two things. He looks like, A, he doesn't have control of his operation, or B, he's hiding behind excuses for what he's trying to do. Well, he made his debut single, 2006 Hicktown. And with these kind of non, uh, non-provocative lyrics, it says, "You can see the neighbor's butt crack nailing on his shingles, and his woman smoking palmas watching Laura Ingalls." That's that's his style. But he went on to say in an interview when he was asked about country uh, music female singers, "I really can't tell them apart." And then, of course. I didn't really mean to offend anybody. <laughs> and then in 2015, when he dressed up as Little Wayne in blackface, he was after he was got called out on it. Oh, I understand that this offends somebody, but there was no racist intent in me when I was doing this. And it goes on. What did Little on. Wayne say? Pardon me. What did Little Wayne say? I don't have a quote from Lil Because he is, uh, from everything I've heard, Lil Wayne is, uh, Lil Wayne takes these things in stride. You know, blackface is a very difficult thing to uh, to defend, especially as recently as 2015. It seems culturally tone deaf. He said, this is uh, Aldine. Me doing that had zero malicious intents. I get that race is a touchy subject, but not everybody in that way. Media tends to make a big deal out of things. If, it was, if that was disrespectful to anyone, by, I by all means apologize. That was never my intention. It wasn't as intention. Well, there you go. You get your apology now, Henry. <laughs> you know, it's just that he has a history. He, he was at he Disney does. World, and he put up on his social media... Uh, so great to see the kids' faces, and it was in the middle of COVID, um, you know, and they had the the face mask off. Oh, we did that every night on Free Talk Live. We right. uh, thank but, people for being But maskless. the point was, when he got called on it, he said, oh, come on, we just had him down for that picture. We put him right back up like everybody else. Well, that's not the impression you're leaving with somebody. When his wife uh, called out the transgender people, like, I'm uh, glad my mom didn't make me changed my gender identity when I went through my tomboy phase. Oh. I think, you know, there's there's a lot of defense of tomboys at this time. And this is one of those areas where there's there's some missing going on. A, on the right, most, 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 most parents are not allowing 
their young uh, kids who are, you know, going through their phase or whatever to start transitioning. They're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, what you need to understand is, is there's an, uh, there are people who are born sexually ambiguous. And I use sex in the sense that of what they were born, what genitalia they were born. And it is, this is really important, people. It's a lot easier to make a vagina and vulva than it is to make a penis. And so the doctors, when they start messing around there, just go ahead and say, female. And those people are, you know, I mean. Who are they saying that to? Well, they're telling, I mean, you don't think hospitals put a gender on birth certificates? Right. Okay. They're saying it to the parents. They're saying, congratulations, you have a little girl. And You've got a child with a uterus. Right. Well, you don't. You got a child with a penis. They don't know whether or not they have a uterus. I, 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 my son was not checked for a uterus. I can assure you of that. He wasn't born in a hospital either. Um, well, they saw the penis. Yes, we did. <laughs> we decided what gender would be put on the uh, birth certificate. Uh, it was 14 days later after he was born. Hmm. Um, but that sounds rather unique. It, it well, you get to choose how your kid's born, and I know that most people choose a hospital, and hospitals kind of have their way of doing things. So what I'm saying is, is that this small percentage of people is born sexually ambiguous, and they may very well need to transition. And they may very well need drugs to do that. Just because one doctor one time said. You're female, maybe took a scalpel to your sex organs at less than a year old, and yeah, let's make something better here. It, this, is, this is a subject that families should be making a decision on, and Republicans should be defending the nuclear family and the decisions that it makes in this particular area. Look, I get it. Some families make terrible decisions. They make awful decisions. Leave them to it, because that way we get to make our own decisions about our family. And then there's the other side of this, where people are like, well, it's a lot better if somebody starts transitioning at nine, because then they'll be able to pick, you know, the gender that they want, and they'll grow up that way. And, you know, that may very well be true, but that is more than most Americans can stomach. Well, we have a different way of doing things in Florida. (laughs) In the latest legislature, we now have a law that suppose you and your mother of your child uh, have a child that isn't quite sure of their uh, gender identity, and you, know, you you go to a professional and you say, well, you don't have to really do anything now. I mean, the child, for example, let's say the child just said, I don't want to be called he or she, just use my name. I, I know this is an actual case. Yep. And the parents are like, well, we'll take our time and let this evolve and see if we have to do anything. According to Florida law now, if you feel a child is in danger of getting uh, gender transition therapy, or, or, yeah, I think not just therapy but care. You, you, therapy is within the subset of care. 
Uh-huh. If you think the child is at risk. In other words, in your mind, if they get therapy, they're going to go on to something more. So am I a concerned neighbor or am I the parent at this point? Well, let's, you can, as a neighbor, raise the issue. Okay. You, know, you go to Department of Children and Families or someone. Uh-huh. I'm not quite sure the details of the way you do that. But you, in other words, it's you It's like have, when I see kids walking along you, the side of the road. I should immediately call the police because those kids are clearly being abused because they have to walk. And they're probably in danger of being no, abducted. No, that has nothing to do with what we're saying. They're talking about... I'm just you, saying it sounds a lot like busybodies getting involved in well, people's uh, Well, it's people that very kids. care about the, the grooming of the, the gender uh, cult culture and the cult of genderism that is being rampant in this United States of America. And they're somehow different than the people that will let uh, their kids walk, uh, that call the cops on kids walking home from school. Let's just say, but I think it would be a given that probably very few people at this point in the the history of the state of Florida would want to to interfere in another life and call on somebody, well, they're letting their kid dress a little iffy, sketchy there, you know, she needs to be in a dress or... He needs to be in uh, some other. He needs a different haircut, or or they don't refer to it as a the the child as a he or a she. They just you know everything I just said. Well, that's that, that's a little bit of a stretch too. But what about a non custodial parent? Would a non custodial parent on that that level that I'm talking about, where you're just trying to Work with the child as the child figures this out for themselves, say like a middle school age, preteen and early teen, and you want to raise that issue, then you might have people that would abuse that. You darn right they would. Uh, you know, people who are the non custodial parent will in you know will will take far less than a kid that might be somewhat ambiguous about their thoughts on their own gender. Uh, they will absolutely use that. Sure. Agreed. And I have a scoop for us. A scoop? I have Jason Aldean's next song. At oh. least a preview of it. Okay. Yes. This is courtesy of Adeem the Artist. Now, uh, we'll, we'll let him speak for himself there on this. Right. Hey, mm-hmm. y'all. It's me, Adeem the Artist. I, uh, I'm going to level with you here. I don't agree with the politics of Jason Aldean in any way. But I got a call from the record execs this morning, and they said that uh, he's trending really well. And if we want to see some higher impressions and some uh, some retweets, stuff like that, we really ought to do a, a cover of a Jason Aldean song. And I thought, well, impressions is what I care about most, so let's do this. You know what I mean? So uh, please share away. This is Jason Aldean's new hit. Uh, it's called Sundown Town. Maybe I was confused. We got no protest civil unrest. Never took a goddamn COVID test And we can all read But we don't do it Driving trucks valued higher than a new Corvette Yeah, we all wear boots And we love to shoot And we root for the cops To stop people like you This is a sundown town Oh, baby, it's a sundown town Better never let the sun go down On you here, brother, or the guns come that's true that I'm I think it's got hit written all over it. <laughs> I don't know what I've just experienced. <laughs> well, if you would like to experience yourself, I'm sure Adeem the Artist wouldn't mind us telling you that you can go to YouTube and you can find him there. Uh, Adeem? Adeem. He's, he's a good old boy. Okay. I think he seems to be a good old boy. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
<laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll follow with Dean the artist. I I guess it's he's doing a cover, but I had, I heard him when I recorded this, and he said it's the next song. So I was easily mistaken by all that. Uh, well, anyway, that's uh, hopefully this will well. Actually, there was something else I wanted to say about Jason Aldean, but it wasn't about so much what we were talking about, is that my YouTube is flooded with, uh, re- you know, there's this genre of YouTube, reaction videos. And it's yes. flooded with um, black people that do reviews. And and, they're, and a part of the review is that, you don't want to. You want to give it fresh, so they don't research it. Yeah. So they just look at the video as a face value, like we have, and some of the other people have. And you go, oh well, that's not racist. They don't have all the other information, so there is a flooding of these review because there isn't a better way to get more views on YouTube as a review genre than to be a black person saying they think white music is great. Right. I would say that's true, um, that there's something like that. And you also have to consider that a large percentage are recent immigrants comparative to, say, African-Americans. So you'll find Nigerian, uh, the children of Nigerians, things like that. um, that In the YouTube review genre? Well, what I'm saying is giving their opinion on topics about being black in America. Being black in America has changed. I guess is what I would say and that there's whole groups of people that are just different than um, what it used to be like when I was a kid And Edge here on the Free Talk Live Network. It's Mark Edge. Henry Rain. Thanks for joining us here. Third hour. Is that the right answer? Yeah, right, right. That's right, the right answer. We're kicking off the third hour. So, uh, Henry, I uh, we've been talking about social issues, talking about presidential race. Where are we going now? Well, I'm hoping you have something for us, Mark. <laughs> but I think, actually... In all seriousness, we have a lot of responsibility. We talked about that earlier. We talked about Stanley. We talked about Spider-Man, Steve Ditko, and the axiom: with great power comes great responsibility. I love it, and I love that. Uh, I feel like Marvel Comics does a really good job of a making uh, people, you know, just believe that power and responsibility went together. And B, making intelligence a superpower. You know, in the Marvel Universe, the most important and successful uh, characters for a very long time were the smartest ones. So, I love that. Such as? Putting a value on IQ. Who were the the smartest characters? Well, um, by list, who are the most intelligent of Marvel characters? Uh, Mr. Fantastic, Hank Pym... Um, Black Knight. Uh, help Black, me out here. Black Knight. Yeah, wasn't he? And Beast. There's another one. 
Nah, I don't think any of them are in Reed Richards' category. Just not of the, the three Hank that Pym? you mentioned after Mr. Fantastic. Dr. Doom. Well, uh, a not a good guy. <laughs> well, I don't think you get to... That's that's wisdom as opposed to intelligence. Uh, well, Tony Stark was pretty good. Yes, he should have been on that list. But you know who also takes great power and great responsibility seriously? Spider-Man. The Fed. <laughs> the Federal Reserve of the United States? Yes. The Federal Reserve. Well, and the individuals that make that up, Jerome Powell and all those other semi-nameless people that make up the Board of Governors. Someone at Colander.com, uh, a man named uh, Jordan St. James, decided to write an article about the uh, smartest characters, putting Peter Parker at 10th. Uh, they could be lucky to be at number 10th. Yeah. Well, he made his own, you know, right in high school, he made his own Sticky spider fluid. stuff. Yes, yeah, so that's that's important. Uh, Hank McCoy at uh, number nine. Uh, number eight. What did he invent? I don't know what he invented, but uh, that's the idea. He was living off Professor X's uh, Cerebus or Cerebro or whatever that thing was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. About Amadeus that. Cho, which is a relatively new one, he uh, turned into a Hulk. Uh, Hank Pym, number seven. Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner, number six, right? Mm. Uh, Tony Stark, number five. Victor Von Doom, number four. Hey. Three, Valeria Richards. This is a uh, daughter of Reed Richards and no, Susan not Storm. Not my generation. Yep. I, I don't care about her either. Uh, Lunella Lafayette. I don't know. She's kissing the nose of a dinosaur here. So, Moon Girl. And oh. number one. Wasn't that a Jack Kirby creation? I thought, wasn't the, it was originally like a. Devil Dinosaur? Yeah, Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy, wasn't it? Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Anyway, so this is the new and uh, modern version of that, I guess. In some and way. what what podcast radio show is the nerdiest? <laughs> <laughs> well, so if you're kicking it back over to, I, I don't know if this was where you wanted to go, but the Federal Reserve launched its FedNow Instant Payment Services. Uh, that was last Thursday, I believe. I don't yep. know if you got in on that. You, well, you, I knew that it happened, but I... You, you didn't know, send anything through I it? I haven't sent anything through it, no. Uh, they've been developing it for several years. Uh-huh. And officials say it'll allow flash, faster, not flasher, <laughs> but maybe in the spirit of the flash, it would be quicker. That would be nice to see Jerome Powell with his little flash suit on, a little lightning bolt. and I don't know what he looks like. I can tell you what Janet Yellen looks like. Well, he's going to look like Flash if he's wearing a Flash suit. <laughs> All right. Old Flash. Well, you just caused me to hit a button and make make your own pal disappear. I know you probably would like that. But anyway, it's the last Thursday. The they started with the Fed. Now that's going to be a, a way of transferring money. The dollar, I would assume, is presumed. Uh, currency that you're transferring on that. Anyway, it's uh, providing instant access to paychecks, uh, allowing for last-minute bill payments or sending government payments out to individuals. The system is expected to improve the flow of money. Federal Reserve built the FedNow service to help make everyday payments over the coming years faster and more convenient, said the chair. So this is to sort of beat out Cash App and um, Zelle and these kind of things. Uh, We'll take that up in a second because I don't think the, the... Future looks sunny and bright for them. Uh, over time, as more banks choose to use this new tool, the benefits to individuals and businesses will include enabling a person to immediately receive a paycheck 
Now, some people think they immediately receive it when they get a direct deposit. Yeah. But they haven't really received it. There's there's a lot of stuff happening in the background just because the bank is letting you spend the money that someday will be yours, but it won't be yours anymore because you've already spent it. Uh, you know, It's not instantaneous. They're, they're advancing you money on a strong belief that they're going to get it. Yes. Uh, you can a- possibly access funds when an invoice is paid. So far... You know, I've never... I've, I've been working for myself for so long, I have never received a direct deposit paycheck. Oh, well, that's too bad. Never. Not even when you get your income tax refund? <laughs> well, it's not a paycheck. It's a direct deposit, though. Um, I haven't paid uh, well, income tax myself that. in a long time. Well, you must do a lot of charitable giving. Indeed. Uh, so far, 35 early adopters, including J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, uh, two of the four largest banks in the U.S. have signed up. Surprise Bank of America hasn't signed up because that would be one of the top four. There are an additional 16 institutions providing services for banks and credit unions that have signed up. Uh, American Bankers Association said it welcomes Fed now. And uh, noting that yeah, ACH, people that get direct deposits or those kind of use those for payments, the, the, uh, when you see ACH, the clearinghouse, that's sort of what's happening with those. You don't probably see that too much. I misstated. I've paid ta- uh, income tax. I have not received anything from the IRS oh. in the form of in- income tax. So, no. That's good to know. Yeah. I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah. Because I would hate to be here alone. <laughs> just <laughs> going, Mark, Mark, where are you? Well, uh, anyway, there's still some outstanding questions about Fed now. And the central bank expects the system to be developed further. Uh, it will be. Uh, central to the use of credit unions and something else like that. Uh, And it is not to be confused. This is the most important part that they stuck at the end. The be confused with a central bank digital currency. No matter how much people on LinkedIn say it's the same thing, <laughs> that is the forerunner. That is they're they're laying the groundwork for all. It this. is the forerunner. <laughs> I would have to tell that they're talking about yeah. a central bank digital currency, right? No. It's still They're not. Uh, it's still funds that. Are, yeah, this is basically this is no, something it, else. Yeah, it's some. This is a mechanism for transfer. I wouldn't call it entirely different, though. Entirely different than what? Well, the the killer app on a digital currency, uh, a cryptocurrency, is the ability to move funds from one place to another at a low cost uh, with uh, frictionless, uh, as they call it. Make it easy to do. And this is that's what this is doing. I mean, Some people think that FedNow would mitigate the need for a CBDC. Okay. I'm, I'm for that. I, mean, I think yeah. that's an, another accurate sort of statement. What, what this appears to me from the story, and it, not just from this story, but from having you know read about it occasionally as it's been being developed— is it? It's it's like a mechanism. It's like a Zelle. It's like a Cash App. Yeah. Now, will they be able to track everything? Well, there there is a transaction record on everything that transacts now. So, the question is, how much of an identifier will this be for individuals? And I guess that depends on how it's used. Well, <laughs> it's going to be used in a variety of ways, just like cash is. But it will be interesting to see how it works well, out. No. I think that you need innovation in the area well, of currency. Sure, let me explain the difference to you. Okay. 
Now, if you are going to take, if your uh, Fed now sends money into your bank, yep, and you use that mechanism to pay bills, which would be a natural extension of what it's for, they're going. That will be within the internal transaction record. Mm-hmm. If you use a credit card, it's going to be within the the ledger of the credit card company, right? And whether that we don't know whether that would be tracked by the Fed now. When so the Fed is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is a, an organization of banks. Um, Visa and Mastercard are issued by banks, and banks are basically franchises of the Federal Reserve. So if you're using a bank product to pay a bill, I would just go ahead and presume that that bill is being tracked and numbered and spent. Well, yeah, but it's being tracked on that. Yeah, people can can subpoena, uh, law enforcement can subpoena that and you find out. What I'm saying is it wouldn't be part of the FedNow system per se. I, I think the payment uh, to the credit card company sure. would be part of the FedNow system. I, I I would agree that it's not part of the FedNow system. Well, you're not system. going to have anonymity in what you've been buying yeah. any these days anyway the, the because Fed, you don't use cash is, anymore. is not offering you anonymity, that's for sure. Right. Well, I mean, back you know, 40 years ago when people were using cash a lot, then you had some anonymity. You don't have that now. How am I buying? How am I going to buy my math? Well, that depends. <laughs> what does the fence give you for the lawnmower you stole from your neighbor? To, <laughs> I don't, if you could steal anybody's lawnmower. Does, does your fence give you a, a check or does it give you cash? <laughs> or she give you cash? I don't want to be sexist about the whole yeah. thing. For now, the... Uh, Cash is still something that you can spend, but uh, I don't know. One, one wonders how long. Yes, well, you could be like India and you know get rid of all the big denominations to make it really difficult to make. Big well, they're purchases. kind of doing that by inflating the currency, right? Yeah. I mean, at this point, a penny, which you remember, penny candy. There is no penny candy anymore. Penny candy costs a dollar twenty-five now. Um, well, I mean, it's probably an exaggeration, yeah, it's a little over the top, but. They, you know, I guess $100. A Tootsie Pop, I bet you can still get for under 50 cents. What's that? A Tootsie Pop. Uh, like a small one. like a, you know, Oh, a Tootsie rapid. Pop is a Tootsie Pop. They're standardized. There's They're about this big. A Tootsie Pop, excuse me. Yes, I was thinking you know, a with a Tootsie Roll, roll inside. Yeah. And I was thinking of Tootsie Roll. And I, was thinking, I mean, there's like a recently whole, is two or three, half a dozen sizes. Two or three years ago, I could buy them for 25 cents, so I don't think they're... Yeah, I don't know what the size. I don't yeah. know what the cost is, but uh, I would say that it is. It's clearly true that uh, that things cost twenty times as much as they w- did when I was a kid. Okay, and well, that means that a hundred dollar bill is worth a twentieth of what it was before. Mm-hmm. And in another one of my lifetimes, I'm fifty two years old. Expect that to happen. So at again. least gas prices aren't that much more than they used to be well they're not more than twice as much 20 uh 20 times um it depends on when you're talking about when i was a kid you remember this time frame it was literally 17 cents or something no no not when you were a kid no i was i remember the iran uh gas crisis yeah that was 40 or 50 cents was a big deal then okay you would know better than i would Uh, i mean i was truly a child yes you didn't you didn't drive your car to the gas line 
But you, I, you didn't ra- you weren't rationed for odd and even days. No, you're you're absolutely true. No. I was not. But that's only. <laughs> but you weren't either, right? That's less than ten times. Well, yeah. I, I Did you own a car at that time? Uh, well, in like 19- it technically wasn't my car, but okay. I had a car to use. Okay, you had to put gas in a car tank. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right behind the license plate, just like you're supposed to. <laughs> I'm not questioning. I'm just asking questions at this uh, point. Yeah, it was it was around thirty cents. Sometimes it'd be a gas war, and you get into the high twenties. We're talking around seventy three. Yep. Right before the first embargo. Now, and I don't know what things are like in California, but I bet you, uh, at its peak, you've paid the Californians have paid easily seven dollars for a gallon of gas. Sure. Oh, that's their problem. <laughs> <laughs> But we're we're talking uh, the the amount. But then by the like nineteen seventy nine eighty, it would getting up to about a dollar fifty. So from that, you know, that's what eighty forty years ago. It's varied from in there dollar fifty to you know three fifty. Got up to five dollars this time, but it didn't stay there very long. But we're digressing, Mark. We're we're getting away from the essence of the point. We were talking about Fed now. You were talking about you can't pay cash. For anything, but there's a better idea out there. Worldcoin. Oh no, Worldcoin. Yes, this is. And in, in fact, my uh, maximalist listeners are losing their 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 minds right now. Which maximalists? Uh, so there's people that are called maximalists are generally Bitcoin mask maximalists. Yes. Um, the cryptocurrency is a terrible idea, except for this one coin. Right, because it's a robust robust uh, network. Well, that's the idea. Yes. It's it's been around a long time by these standards. Okay, I I was a Bitcoin maximalist, and I'm probably still lean that way. I think that Bitcoin is uh, should be kept. I mean, Bitcoin. If you're going to have cryptocurrency, that Bitcoin ought to be part of a portfolio. But I think that maxis are in it for the money, and they're not in it for the technology because the technology is being developed out on the fringes. Well, the upgrades have given it some of the the ability to do what Ether does and some things like that. But let's let's stick with you. Keep wanting to take us down these alleyways in the midst of a dark night somewhere. <laughs> where I speaking of the black night that you wanted to bring up, or got no idea why. Uh, Worldcoin was introduced last week. It's a cryptocurrency project founded by OpenAI CEO Sam Altman. Now. Open I've a. heard the name, and well, I've used OpenAI. That has to do with chat GPT. Yeah, okay. Okay, because he's, he's all about the artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. He's got real intelligence, but artificial intelligence is where he's made his name. And the project's core offering is its world ID, which the company describes as a digital passport. Doesn't that sound cool? <laughs> <laughs> it, it proves the holder is a real human. Okay. And it does that. By showing that you're not an AI, an artificial intelligence robot, or bot, is you know the techies say. To get a world idea, customer signs up to do an in-person iris scan. That's the iris of your eye, using Worldcoin's orb, a silver ball, approximately the size of a bowling ball. That's a big orb. Um, no, I mean, I is the only way to do this is with an iris scan. I mean, like you couldn't put your handprint on there. You couldn't produce a heartbeat. You couldn't do an interview. I mean, it's just one way. If you want that, you need to go make your own darn cryptocurrency. I mean, Sam Altman is a busy man, <laughs> and actually, I I 
do believe that the iris scan has been used in like some of the Palestinian refugee camps to allocate food and things like that. So there, there is technology that backs There's that up. There's always something that will get your biometric data. Here, you want to eat? Biometric data. <laughs> well, I would You want to go that. to Disney World? Biometric data. Well, I don't know if I'd trade it for that, but I would definitely trade it for the food to live on. Clearly you haven't, mm. because that's what you do when you go to Disney World. No. I haven't gone to Disney World in decades. <laughs> right. I went uh, this year or last year. Uh, what do you do? One of Jack's friends came down. Jack wanted well, to go. How, how do they collect it? They, you just put your thumbprint on somehow, and then they... Oh, well, they, that's not an iris scan. No, I said biometric data. All right. I thought you said iris scan. We'll go to the tape. <laughs> anyway, once you get the scan, it verifies you as a human. You know, I have my own questions about how you can, you know, counterfeit an iris scan, but I guess there's something they, they've got more technical knowledge than I do. Anyway, the company behind WorldCoin, it creates the world ID. The company behind WorldCoin is... San Francisco and Berlin-based Tools for Humanity. That sounds nice, too. (laughs) Uh, The project has 2 million users from the beta period. That's a lot. And with Monday's launch, WorldCoin is scaling up orbing. Then we got a new verb. It's like tweeting. Tweeting became a verb. Um, Operations to 35 cities and 20 countries. Tweeting was a verb before that. It's just... Expanded its definition. Yeah, but this is associated with a technological advancement, and orbing is associated Googling. with Googling. Now, there's a... Uh, that's that's that a, a good branding. Anyway, uh, it's an enticement. Those who sign up in certain countries will be... Uh, you know, this may be difficult to explain completely in this segment, but we're going to try. We don't here. have to. Well, I'd like to at least mark the ground... I'd like to leave my mark on the ground that we explained this so we could talk about it. Anyway. Speaking of which, i got to get back home and walk the dogs. Well, that's just too bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you have a son for. Anyway. Oh, Mark. Anyway, as an enticement, those who sign up in certain countries will receive WorldCoin's cryptocurrency token WLD. Now, if you think that is an enticement, think about this. The price rose in early trading on Monday, on the, that was last week, on the world's largest exchange, Binance. It hit a peak of $5.29 and was at $2.49 from starting price of $0.15, cents, having seen $25 million of trading volume, according to the Binance website. Doesn't that sound cool? Well, you know... It sounds like they're working. Right. You're, yeah, you're taking not that into t- the money aspect. You're about the ideals and the. Well, I like the money and I like the ideals. I like it all, but it sounds like this uh, Sam Altman guy is get it, has got a lot of fans. Right. Well, blockchains can store world ideas, as you well know, and they preserve the privacy and can't be controlled or shut down by any single entity. Co-founder Alex Biana told Reuters, except perhaps whoever controls the orbs <laughs> might have a, a, a lock on the registry there. Uh, that may be where the counterfeit iris scans Place come. your gonads gently on the orb. Uh, Mark, you've uh, thought about this way too much already. Uh, I've read this book. Anyway, it'll be uh, necessary in the age of generative AI chatbots like ChatGBT, which we 
reproduce mark, remarkably human-like language. Altman told Reuters, "Wow, this is getting tongue-tied." Altman told Reuters, "WorldCoin also can address how the economy will re- be reshaped. People will be supercharged by AI, which will have massive economic implications." Well, that's wonderful, and we can talk about the ramifications and repercussions of this. Uh, the next, well, we still got another segment. We got time for all this. I hope we do. I'm planning on it. Unless we you. get into another Marvel list. Yeah. Oh, Mark. Uh, I'm beating my head here. <laughs> the buck stops here. The buck stops at the president's death when he's president of the United States. Mark Edge. Yeah, Mark. It's our final segment this for is, today. Man, they just uh, fly by. Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> we just slide through this like butter on a hot pavement. We're just <laughs> rolling downhill. Just to mix as many metaphors as I can. <laughs> but, which reminds me, relationships are tough. <laughs> Yeah, is that mixing a metaphor? <laughs> well, it's it's tough on the butter. It's tough on the concrete. <laughs> it's tough on the hill, but it's not as tough as relationships are between people that that love each other and have formed uh, a near permanent union, uh, or are hopeful of that permanent union. And there's, there's the, the union's that, a little less permanent than it used to be. Yes, <laughs> uh, and I know that. I certainly am not. I don't fit a uh, cookie cutter relationship model, and the I don't know if you would describe your relationship as a cookie cutter relationship model. I am divorced. Is how I describe. Well, that doesn't mine. mean you don't have a relationship. It's true. Uh, so would would you say there? What would you say the 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 non marital status of the two people involved are are they are they related well okay. yeah i think it's a relationship sure okay yeah. well that clears that up everybody's related right um but yeah uh, i don't know anyway the but the greater point here the greater point mark is that as i said before with great power comes great responsibility and people look to us to improve their lives okay. and, and to go with the, the life experience that we have. Because a lot of the people are younger than us. And no, who, they're not listening <laughs> to the radio, are they? <laughs> and, and who better to turn to than older folk that have microphones and, <laughs> and can opine to you 
uh, about know uh, how relationships. to use, know how to use free uh, software on the internet. <laughs> what what do you think is what what would be the first thing you know? What's, let me back this up. I have said before uh, that in discussion of other people's relationship. Nobody really knows what goes on between a man and a woman. Or I would expand that to say between a man and a man, a man and a woman, a wo- <laughs> woman, you know, in the relationship. Inside a relationship. You know, the, these bonding pairings yep. that we have now. Nobody really knows what goes on between people that are in one of those kind of bonding pairs. Not bondage pairs, but <laughs> bonding. Uh, and, the, and we don't know. Right. We don't know the details. But what would you advise them? <laughs> well, not knowing anything about them, not knowing what they're going through, what would you guess might be the thing that you they might want to work on? Well, I think that honesty is probably the first thing that I would uh, talk about is is that there is uh, you shouldn't be keeping anything from your mate uh, if we're going to use that term. What if it would be better for them if they just didn't know about it? I think that honesty is the thing that you should work on it. Um, so when you go out and you, in a moment of weakness, have an uh, affair with someone, that you should immediately go home and tell the other person about it. I think that in that circumstance, you, your commitment to honesty might help you to have not had that moment of weakness. However, if uh, you did have that moment of weakness, I would take a little time to see whether you developed yourself uh, some kind of venereal disease. Um, and uh, if that were the case, then um, you know maybe I would keep it to well, myself. Those are words of wisdom right there. Determine yeah. if you have a venereal disease. Mm. Sexually you ought transmitted to do that. Yeah. disease, yes. It doesn't <laughs> I, have to be venereal. All right. Well, I don't know the difference between sexually transmitted and venereal. I'm just uh, trying to keep it clean for the kids. <laughs> what STDs is how the... The cool kids refer to it these days. I'm sure it is. So, and never to having done things like cool kids. Yeah, I would, uh, at that point, you know, once I've determined that I am, uh, you know, relatively safe, then, you know, return to my uh, marriage. And perhaps I might keep that quiet uh, because it doesn't seem like it would help forward the relationship. But I think that not having done it in the first place is the best bet. Well, I'm glad we had this discussion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I will tell you what somebody says, not me, Okay. but I will say that money is something that is a, a problem in how you deal with it in many relationships. And Dr. Jenny Olson, uh, a lead author of a study uh, published in the Journal of Consumer Research, which is where you should always go for your marital advice or your relationship advice, (laughs) Uh, put together uh, by business researchers from several universities who have no underlying agenda, uh, found that couples with joint bank accounts fared better over the long term than couples that maintain separate ones. Now, isn't it possible to be both of those? Like, you can have a joint bank account... And maintain separate ones at the same time, right? I would say for more mature relationships, as in chronologically mature, like and that is a really good idea. <laughs> I would say for young couples, it is almost impossible because you're just barely getting by. There's just not enough there, money there, to go around. There's no extra to go. I hear you. But the idea 
that um, you could do that, you know, because there are young couples that have good jobs, and in that case, they could identify what their joint monthly expenses are, the, the mortgage or the rent and the food and some of the other expenses. And I think it would be a good idea to um, have that put in on as you get your income monthly or weekly, whatever, you put that in, your share of it. And that's, a, that's also a security for both couples that they know that their immediate needs, material needs are going to be covered. And then you would have a separate account for either ones, and you know, you could come to a determination: Do you just put all the surplus in there, or do you, you know, do you have a savings account too that you're going to both put in relatively proportional amounts for all that? Uh, but anyway, Dr. Jenny Olson says I would say there's a lot of debate out there about the benefits of joint accounts, but anytime you see a joint, it is better. Now I think she meant joint bank account there, <laughs> right. but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That goes into a whole nother issue that comes up with couples. So she's just saying that couples that have a joint bank account do better. And what does do better mean? Well, it has to do with the study that they just okay. completed. It's possible that joint accounts make couples happier, but it's also possible that happier couples couples are more likely to join their finances. Mm. So is it the chicken or the egg? Yep. Uh, what comes first? Are you happy and then you want to share or so do you share is, and become happier? Success is determined by uh, happiness in the circumstance. Well, well, I'll tell you, she's happy about her work, uh-huh. uh, this study that came out, because she says our work really presents the most compelling evidence to date that joint accounts are indeed good for marriage. Now, and she's talking over the long term, but you sort of go, what's, what's the long term? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I will ask the question and then I will answer it. Uh, the researchers recruited over 200 couples to participate in the study. All of them were engaged or married for less than a year. Next, the researchers divided them into three groups with different instructions. One group of couples kept their accounts separate. The second joined their account. And the third was a no-intervention control group in which the study participants did whichever they preferred. Okay. Uh, the researchers monitored all three groups closely over the next two years, surveying them at six different points to model their trajectories, according to Olson. The researchers assessed the happiness well-being with several questionnaires. Well, it seems like a short duration and an odd group, but it does seem like you'd be able to figure out the chicken or the egg on this one because you have a group a group that was directed to get a joint account and then a group that willingly got a joint account and then you can see you know just based on that whether or not uh, joint accounts create happiness or whether happiness creates joint accounts uh well interestingly enough all three groups saw the quality of their relationships decrease over time <laughs> <laughs> Olson said... Just a little advice for you kids. <laughs> the clients are typical of all relationships. But the group with couples who joined their finances saw significantly less decline than the other groups in that uh, long term of two years. Okay. Uh, couples that were assigned to the joint banking district were buffered against... Uh, that was just a little bit more of the same. Um, let's see. What else is, can be determined here? Uh, they what find- do you think about joint accounts and what they uh, provide a relationship, Henry? Well, I think you you have to have it 
you shouldn't have one uh, person that controls all the account by themselves. So if you don't can't have three accounts or the joint account and then that secret account one of you have that you don't <laughs> tell the other person, um, then everybody... You don't need a secret account. You just sneak 20s off to the side. That's right. That's shoebox. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go to the shoebox and what did you do with my Nikes? <laughs> anyway... Uh, I thought one of the interesting things, the Thursday explained joint account might make relationships more communal. And uh, the other thing that I want to get into the human interest, I'll answer your question here. Um, She talks about the different circumstances. Maybe when they get older, maybe they've had a previous marriage. This advice, this this, uh, survey probably isn't applicable to them. One drawback is everything is visible to both partners. And we heard some couples like, well, if I want to buy a gift for my partner, how am I supposed to do that if they can see every line item? And I say, you aren't buying a special gift. There's something you want to buy, and you don't want to be have them looking over your shoulder on it. But that's well, just me. I, I, you know, I was just thinking while we were talking about this, of course, to my marriage and the time frame when we had only basically a joint account. And I had exactly that problem is, is that if I wanted to buy a gift, I really didn't, you know, like I literally had a little box up, upon which I would shove 20s now and then so that I would be able to buy a gift without that gift being sort of tracked. How did that 20 not get into the account? I I would be given an allowance on a weekly basis. Oh, so you saved it. And so I would ferret it away. Um, and yeah, that was uh, that was the whole thing. This was the height of the economic downturn or the depths of the economic downturn in 2008. Oh. And uh, so, you know, I we we really decided we were going to get pay off all the debt and, you know, that that was going to be a great thing and and it happened and it was a great thing but buying a gift was a difficult uh, part of that and the basically the way that we determined that we were going to handle that was by not buying gifts we're simply not going to buy gifts for each other and we had everything we need so you got into arts and craft um no the i I, I, you know there were a couple things here and there that i want to be able to buy as a gift and i so i saved money away and i did that she did hates, it work out? She yeah. hated gifts. <laughs> uh, yeah, because she had you had clued her in and smartened her up that you were putting the money aside so that she could put some money aside. Yeah, she would. You were do that just way. doing that to make yourself superior. I, I didn't. No, I wasn't. Uh, You're always like that, Mark. You're always doing these things. <laughs> always doing that, those things. Yeah, it's Why just you like you always do that. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, but that wouldn't be thrown up in your face. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. She would just take the the gift and say, "Oh, thanks." Um, I would suggest. To these couples that are need any advice, is try making a budget first. Uh, now, sometimes if you uh, see, I pretty much know what everything is being spent. It's like the budget is residing in my mind all the time. Um, I know where the money goes, and especially when there's outflow, when there's more demands than you can fill. The the budget doesn't really help that much because you you know that you always do not have enough. No, no, not my present. You got to cut uh, things, you know. I mean, we mm-hmm. we cut cable, we cut we cut down uh, cell lines, we cut down everything. 
Right. I mean, that's it. It has to hurt if you uh, want to get your head above water. What if you don't get above water? There are a lot of people who don't. That's the true. system is designed so that people are bankrupted. <laughs> um, money is loaned into existence at interest. So that means there's no way to pay back a hundred and X percent of money. So you, there will always be those that that's the reason we have b- bankruptcy is because some will never get their heads above water. But the bad news is, is that if you go bankrupt, the likelihood of going bankrupt again is even higher because you won't learn from your lessons. I doubt that that's a true statistic. I'll go ahead and look that up for you. Yes, please do. Go ahead. Because I'm trying to think how you can that can statistically be possible. If 100 people go bankrupt, you're saying that the recurrence of bankruptcy is higher for previously bankrupt than the general population. Is that That's what correct. you're trying to say? Yes. Okay. The recurrence of bankruptcy is higher for uh, the bankrupt than it is for the general population. Uh, well, I, it I would recur, see, statistically, yes. I would say... Why that wasn't possible is because I would say there would be less people with two bankruptcies than one bankruptcy. So the total bank people that were bankrupt can never e- equal the number that have one bankruptcy. Well, you don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be everybody who went bankrupt because I've went gone bankrupt once. Right. Um, obviously, they wouldn't. But the people, but the the pool of people who have gone bankrupt, the likelihood of those people going bankrupt again is higher than the pool of people who. Uh, just all people in the U.S. So you're saying that if you were to Google search, then say percentage of bankruptcy uh, by population of the United States, and then percent of uh, the set of people that have declared bankruptcy once that have a second bankruptcy, that that number will be a higher percentage. Is that is that what you're saying? I was actually looking at what I was saying. So repeat it again. I'm sorry. I was looking at the, 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 what I had uh, searched well, here. Well, what have you searched? You tell me. Well, I don't see from a percentage of double bankrupt is what I quickly typed in while we were chatting here. And I see debt.org talking about bankruptcy statistics. There isn't a, there doesn't seem to be a good news article straight away that, uh, that, Addresses this. How about a simple one? Um, how many people declared their second bankruptcy last year? Second bankruptcy. Yes. And Try that. Well, I wish I had a little Jeopardy liner here that I could play. I'll tell you what. While you're doing that, let me play a very important message for everybody that's listening. Mark is going to go dive deep into this. And in the meantime, we'll listen to any more important message. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their chain locks technology. 
there's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete. So it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org. Oh, the best thing I've got is this article from Forbes about how often can you file for bankruptcy. Um, this one's by uh, John Egan and um, Mitch Strom here uh, for Forbes. Just as there are different types of bankruptcy, there are different rules for how often you can file bankruptcy. The waiting period to file another bankruptcy case generally ranges from two to eight years, depending on the type. I once had a bankruptcy attorney tell me, you need a good five to seven years to run up a debt worth bankrupting. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of the thing. If I, you know, in, in my case, when I had a bankruptcy, I really hated that I couldn't pay my bills. And I basically filed way too early because I just knew that there was no way to get out of this. Like I had this, uh, this business that went under and I just didn't have the way to uh, you know, produce the numbers. I probably should have waited a year or two, but ultimately it worked out. So... Anyway, um, depending on the type of bankruptcy, in some situations, there may be no waiting period. This guide focuses on Chapter 7 and Chapter 13 bankruptcy, the most common types for individuals. Other types of bankruptcy, 9, 11, 12, and 15, focus on municipalities, businesses, family farmers, and fishermen, and bankruptcy filings and um, involving more than one country. So basically, you can can file for bankruptcy anywhere from like two to eight years, and that yeah, it gives a lot of options for people who make bad choices. There you go. Well, all I can say is that I saw this somewhere, and I can't find my source. Okay. Other than um, you know, just questions about doing it because apparently people search this. But doesn't it make sense that somebody who went bankrupt once is more likely to go bankrupt than somebody who a pool of people who haven't necessarily gone bankrupt? No, because everybody that's gone bankrupt the first time has come from a pool of people that haven't gone bankrupt. <laughs> they did. But um, you know, only a percentage of them will ever go bankrupt, right? Um, I think that the, probably the vast majority of people do not ever go bankrupt. But I could be wrong. I, I think the majority of people. I don't know what vast means, but... Well, vast would be above 66%. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, so what other personal relationship items can we have? Or, or just hey, well, life, when it comes to life hacks. Yeah, my thought on a uh, joint bank account is that for me, it worked really well. There was a period of time in my life when um, you know we wanted to get all the debt paid off that we didn't like living under the thumb and we couldn't get a mortgage we built our house and at the time they just weren't given mortgages out I mean a year before that they had been given out to anybody with a heartbeat but th at that point they weren't and so I built a house on credit card debt and I needed to get that paid off and so my wife, who had just had a child, 
decided that she was going to make your child. Yeah, my child, yes, had decided that she was going to make it her job that we got out of debt. And amazingly, I think she did it in two years. Uh, it was it was a Herculean effort and force of will. Yeah, and and she just did it. She made the meals. She took care of the kids. She did all the the wifey things, and then took care of the finances too. And I got a small allowance to spend on I don't know, like a a burger after the show or something. And that was about it. And by a burger, I mean the dollar value menu at uh, McDonald's, not the twenty dollar burgers you get at uh, you know like some of the chain restaurants. Well, in two thousand eight, that dollar went farther. It certainly did. So for me, it really worked out well. But yes, you're absolutely right. In a relationship, you have to find the right person to do that. And the most important decision you're going to make in your life is who you marry. It's nothing else. This is the most single most important decision you're going to make. Uh, success, happiness, all these things are weighed upon it. Um, don't just pick the first one that you knock up or something. <laughs> Well, it was a very touching advice you there you gave <laughs> until the end. Just, just let that one you knock up go. Well, <laughs> yeah, great, Mark. <laughs> you know, I can't say that at uh, in Pardon my me while I wiped the tear from my eyes. <laughs> late teens and early twenties that I was the best judge of character. I, you know, I, I got to say, I've got some glaring <laughs> evidence to the contrary. Uh, well. More to the contrary when we return next week with another Reigns of Edge. (laughs) Thanks, Henry. You can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com